Uh, hey everyone, welcome uh, Fight Side listeners, uh, welcome fight, fight fans and everyone who listens, who may be listening to this uh, for the first time. We're, I am Iggy, also known as Tumen, <laughs> this is my actual name. Uh, I am the host of Tangry Dome, uh, the podcast that is uh, being published on the Fight Side Podcast Network. And uh, this is another one of those, uh, another one in the series of uh, discussion panels that we have recorded for the fight side uh, that have to do with uh, like broader institutional topics, uh, things like uh, you may have heard, may have listened to the previous episodes, which have to do with defining toughness in combat sports and uh, the strength and conditioning podcast with Zach Makovsky and his uh, and other guests. And um, so w- without really going into too much detail, I'm just going to let everyone introduce themselves. So I'm just going in the order that is uh, on my screen right now. Uh, so Zach, once again, please introduce yourself to any newer listeners that may not know you and may not know the fight side's work, although they really should have, <laughs> should have acquainted themselves with all that. Yeah, uh, Zach Makovsky, been fighting professionally for just about 15 years. Uh, now starting to get in, into coaching a bit as well. And, um, you know, I have a I've never fought amateur MMA, so uh, I don't know ex- how much I can uh, offer to this podcast, but I have cornered a lot of people in amateur MMA, watched other fighters come up through the system. I competed in wrestling as an amateur, obviously, in college. And uh, yeah, now I also on occasion contribute to the fight site. So that's that. Yeah. Uh- to your point about what you can contribute, the idea is to contrast, of obviously, the amateur experience and the pro experience. So, uh, we're looking very much looking forward to your input. That's why I brought on Mr. Torres because. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, so he's got he's got a lot of experience in this. Area. Today's guest of honor, Mr. Torres. Please introduce yourself. Uh, I am the guest of honor. My name is Jose Shorty <laughs> Torres. Uh, been professional for almost about six years now, which is crazy to think about. Um, I have been training since I was four years old, so I had a lot of amateur experience. MMA, when I was 18, I had about 26 amateur MMA fights. I had about 50-plus in kickboxing, Muay Thai, and then hundreds in amateur wrestling in high school and in college. So when it comes to the amateur realm, um, that is my forte. I've kind of tried to be the pioneer of amateur MMA, at least in the States. And uh, being a a two-time IMF World Champ, which is the Amateur World Championships, it's it's a huge huge thing, and I am the other contrast. I'm the I'm the yin, while Zach is the yang. <laughs> well, I'm sure we're going to see more interplay between you two today, more banter. So, uh, well, Trey, please go ahead. Uh, no, yes, uh, I'm Trayvon Coker. Uh, I also like, I guess in the fights, I contributor now, basically, uh, <laughs> a few podcasts, uh, but no, I'm, I am an amateur fighter, uh, myself. So this is actually really good. Cause I don't have any experience as pros or anything of that sort. Uh, I've had some amateur fights, so I could probably, uh, speak upon that in that specific realm. Excellent. Yeah. Great. Exactly why we brought you on. And, uh, our last guest, also a guest of honor. None of these guests are not guests of honor, I have to point out. <laughs> so, Dan, go ahead. 
Well, it's an honor for me uh, to be on the, you know, on the podcast again with uh, you, my man, Tumen, and of course, uh, uh, Zach and Jose and, and Trayvon, who I just recently meet. So uh, a, a pleasure. Hopefully I can contribute to it again. Um, I, I only fought, uh, you know, scheduled to fight amateur uh, twice. And, and the second one was kind of how I ended up working in the media side of things. But uh, aside from getting my butt kicked for three rounds by Marvin Eastman's son, uh, I'll see what I can contribute as far as uh, filling in, you know, filling in the proverbial holes. Don't giggle, Tumen. <laughs> too late <laughs> too late <laughs> well this is exactly why we decided to bring Dan Tom on to, to talk about holes and filling filling in other holes and all that stuff so <laughs> so to, to those uh, to those listeners who do not know Dan Tom is the host of the Protect Your Neck uh, podcast and uh, he also writes for MMAJunkie.com uh, so very merited credentialed individual individual in the world of MMA media. <laughs> uh, yeah, do the gesture. <laughs> yeah, the, the, Brian Wagner is going to get me again for that. You know it. So I got to be careful. Of course, Thank naturally. You. Appreciate that. So yeah, uh, quick disclaimer. It's the first time I'm actually hosting a discussion panel. I'm more used to uh, one-on-one dialogues and podcasting. So if... Uh, I mess anything up. Uh, I already have a built-in excuse. Please lay off my case. <laughs> it's also 3 a.m. <laughs> so, all right. Anyway, enough. Uh, yes, enough asking around. Uh, today's topic, uh, the this uh, the topic for today's discussion is going to be amateur MMA, its current state and uh, its future development. We're going to go over things that uh, just kind of any problems that uh, might be inherent in the, the way uh, amateur MMA is set up, uh, any potential avenues for development, experience uh, working and fighting in amateur MMA, working with amateur fighters, all that stuff. That's why we have today's, uh, that's why we brought together this panel. So, uh, uh, so I guess we'll start with you, uh, Jose. Uh, please, uh, just let's go over uh, the governing bodies that control and regulate amateur MMA today. What uh, what uh, do you think about them? What what sort of experience you have working with them? Any like notice, notable things you'd like to point out? Maybe some things you'd like to change? Just a, a um, quick overview. Yeah, at least when I went amateur, there was still, you know, legalization of knees and elbows to the face, you know, so amateur MMA has been adapting very much so, and at least when I turned pro and obviously till now, you have guys and obviously every state is very, very different. All 50 states have different regulations, you know, so some make you wear headgears during fights as amateurs, some make you wear shin guards during fights, some states don't. Some use the seven ounce MMA gloves, some use the regular four ounce professional style MMA gloves. So every state is different. Every commission is, uh, you know, run differently. But when it comes to the worldwide organization, at least the one I represent is the IMOF. There's another one that's obviously growing called Gamma that one of C supports. Uh, IMOF is the one that I went through and we had a national tournament while other countries had national tournaments as well. We were able to compete for the world championship. And honestly, those are pro level guys, the amateur ranks, you know, these are all guys that are the best in their nation that qualify for this tournament. And they're pretty much trying to see if they're ready for that professional realm. And I tell people, 
doesn't matter if you're 0-30 or 30-0 as an amateur because when you go pro, that's when it really matters. All these fights, you can lose every single one of them as long as you learn from it that you really, really lose, you know? So I think Zach would uh, understand with this one where, at least in college, my coach would tell me, I don't care how your season goes. As long as you're the starter, that's all that matters. You could be 0-30 in every single wrestling match. But once you got to that regional tournament to qualify for nationals, that's when it mattered most. If you lost them, yes, then be upset. But all this realm is your practice. So an example is like, that's your amateur. And then when you go pro, that's when it really matters. So, you know, you're, you're trying to build up your job resume and, and every commission is different. Every commission allows you to do different things. I remember fighting four times in one month, back to back to back to back every single weekend. Now I believe you have to have at least a full two weeks off just to make sure you are, you know, uh, uh, capable of fighting again. And there's no brain damage or possible possibility of brain damage. So Every state is operated by a different body, but, and obviously every country does the same, but amateur MMA is picking up all over the world. And as you see, organizations are starting to blossom because of it, make full-time livings as promoters as for amateur ranks, or even again, these big bodies like IMOF, Gamma, and now the UFC, 1FC supporting them as well. It's, that's, that's a huge, huge thing. And, and I mean, you look at background, Lomachenko, Triple G, uh, Canelo, De La Hoya, no matter how many fights they have as a professional, somehow, some way, their amateur record always gets brought up. You know, I think Vasil Lomachenko is like 396, 397 and one. You well, know, it's, so it's sort of disputed, but he's had uh, a very uh, large number of yeah. fights still. And it's, uh, you know, Rick, Rigondeaux was halfway there. De La Hoya was around 200 fights. Triple G was around almost 300 fights. So it's, it's the fact of it. And you look at them now as professional. Do you think, yeah, they might have taken a little more of a, a professional beating long-term wise? Because again, for us, longevity, but the contrary to that is you're that much better and that much more prepared uh, job resume wise to go into the professional realm. And you look at Lomachenko again, being the biggest example, winning his first world championship, I believe is either a second or third fight. And then being one of the fastest three weight class world champions in 12 fights. So it's, it's a phenomenal thing. So, yeah. So would you agree that the, creation of a centralized governing body for amateur MMA has been hugely beneficial for the sports overall. Like yeah, it's, it's a huge thing. It's a huge thing. And it definitely should be in the Olympics. I know I'm actually in the process of trying to get into the Olympics now with the IMF, but because just like in life, it's politics, you know? So mm-hmm. if you see in boxing, for example, where MMA now is a professional realm, there's so many different promotions. So being able to collaborate as one full body to have the Olympic committee accepted is very difficult because everyone obviously is money hungry, this, that, but when it comes to the amateurs, just in general, like to get as many amateur fights as possible. And it's a huge thing, especially you see the sport evolving. And for Zach being, you know, 15 year, you know, veteran, he can even tell that like, man, some of these young guys are doing stuff that he did maybe when he was 30 and they're doing it at 21. You know, it's, it's, I, it's something I'm now seeing about to be 29 and these guys are 21. And I'm like, man, I hate this kid, you know? So it's, these amateurs are getting a lot better. It's because of all that practice and the growth of the sport. Yeah, so uh, you contrast uh, the overall IMF uh, governing body and uh, the amateur associations around the country in the US. And um, like, I think uh, Trey would be able to comment on that specifically, like the difference between the way uh, things are run in this overall governing body and how they are run in the individual states. Trey, please, your experiences fighting in amateur MMA. Yes. Yes, uh, because uh, in Texas, that's you know where I live and uh, where I fight out of, uh, you can see kind of big differences. Because sometimes I I know I've seen amateurs in different states, different uh different countries, like 
like uh, like Jose said, people have shin guards, people have headgear, people have the big fat puffy gloves, the seven ounces, people have the four ounces. In Texas, really, uh, amateur MMA fights are very similar to like pro MMA fights. There's no, there's no like twisting leg locks or no like heel hooks and things like that. There's no knees to the head. I think like reinforce like the clinch, and there's no elbows to the head. So other than that, and three three minute rounds too. Other than those things. It's very, very, very similar to a pro fight. And sometimes, again, with the good guys, like Jose was talking about, it, it can be indistinguishable uh, from a pro fight. Like, some guy would just be very good, and you'd be like, oh, this is a pro fighter, but it's an amateur fight, especially without the, with the limited gear and everything. Uh, but, no, yeah, so, like, obviously, like, it depends state per state, like, how how the infrastructure of the state is, how they develop their fighters and all and and all that. I believe in Texas, the amateur commissions are like the same with the pro commissions. Uh, I don't think there's any like real like differentiation between either. Like it's just like a, I mean, obviously they, they do different stuff for amateurs, but I don't think they do anything different. Like there's no amateur, like specific amateurs within the commission and whatnot, uh, at least from my opinion, from what I've seen. Yeah, a very common concern people raise when talking about amateur MMA is of course the issue of payment first of all, and the issue of matchmaking. A lot of people who would like to start their amateur MMA career are often very concerned about the fact that they may be matched up with a guy who is much more experienced or just playing much better than them. How often do you really see that happen in amateur MMA? This is a question towards directed towards both Trey and uh, Jose as well. Like, uh, uh, okay. okay, Trey. Yeah, I can start. Yeah, you can start, start with yeah. this. Uh, well, my experience with amateur MMA, like matchmaking, is more so to do with like the promotions with the specifically. So there are a lot of promotions that run like pro cards or amateur cards or pro-am cards. And the matchmakers will kind of take care of that. And most of the time, it seems to me, just from like the, from what I see, uh, it seems to be like, I guess, like record-based most of the time, which is pretty reasonable, especially when you're going with people that are like, you have no knowledge over or that are like 0-0, 0-1, 1-0, you know what I mean? So they won't. More, more times than not, they won't put like an amateur that's like six and zero against an zero and zero amateur. Sometimes things happen, like short notice fights or like uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Somebody might pick somebody, <laughs> but more times than not, uh, you know, they'll try to match you based off record more than anything. And but again, I will say this is specifically from like the the promotions that I know in my specific area. I, I would assume it could be a lot different depending on the, the situation, the circumstances, where you're at, and and things like that. Yeah, I, at least in the amateur realm, I always tell people at least get 20 amateur fights because that's the experience you want to turn in pro. Most guys don't. So their record is five fights, maybe even 10 fights, and then they usually go to the next realm of, of being a professional. So when it comes to having these guys fighting each other, the records are pretty much really similar. I've actually seen more problems in the professional realm where you see this guy fighting for a championship, maybe he's five and oh whatever the case may be and then he's fighting some guy that's like four and 16 or four and 12 and you can tell these are like those setup fights you're like ah you know it's, it's promoters and this and that and obviously there's matchmakers um at least my promotion brave does a really really good job at you know making some very very fair and really well tested fights but then you have some promotions that are more feeder promotions that are trying to build up these guys so they'll have this up and coming prospect who doesn't really have much of a record, but he's possibly undefeated, maybe one loss versus some guy that's already past his prime at the end of his career, but he has 20 plus fights, but it's not 
like, you know, 10 and 10, it's usually like five and 15 or whatever the case may be. So um, when it comes to the matchmaking, that's hard, but again, you need a proper manager and you need to be able to, I guess, be logical with yourself and, and take the proper fights in both the amateur and professional realm. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I would like to bring up another point that Jose brought up that I uh, wanted to comment on. Uh, he was talking about like, he a- advises people to get like 20 fights, you know, but most people get like five or 10, like in the, I guess in Texas, most people don't get anywhere near that amount of fights. And that's kind of not commented on. Most people get like, kind of like max, like five, six amateur fights. And then they go pro. I guess I would assume it's because like in, in Texas, or at least again, in my area, Houston area, like the amateur fights are really feel like pro fights, if I could say. Like people like it's not like people get amateur fights back to back to back to back to back, like three fights in a day, uh, three fights in a, in a few weeks or whatever. It's like it's like timetables, like two to three months for a fight, like a normal pro fight. Like people cut weight for amateur fights. People do all like the process for amateur fights over here. They treat it like a pro fight, if I could say. Like in terms of just like mindset. Uh, so like it's not like I guess other places again where you get like four fights in a day for a tournament or like you get a fight every month like back to back to back or every few weeks but that doesn't really happen much over here so people don't have the time to get like the 20 fights because that's like already a career for them <laughs> uh hypothetically uh again they get like five fights they get like all those five fights within a year year and a half two years and then they jump pro because they kind of already are doing pro type things cutting weight spending the two month training camp etc cetera, etc cetera. uh so that was kind of cool to hear from like his perspective and how that how that well, if you think about it, I, if, if we look at my record, so I had at least 26 amateur MMA fights. I did that in a span of five years. So technically, mm-hmm. that's about five fights a year, give or take. You know, obviously, I've had four fights in one month, but that was, again, back in the day when there really wasn't a commission or a body that told you you had to fight every two weeks, whatever the case may be. So I, I also went to school. So I was busy in my college career, and I couldn't fight as often as I wanted to, and I did many tournaments. When it came to kickboxing, boxing, and, and, and Muay Thai, all these events, like you're saying, where you fight back to back to back, as an amateur, man, as long as you're, you're not dying, as long as you're not completely injured and, and your brain is okay, especially your brain, then, you know, compete as much as possible. That's why I tell people, like, these last-minute fights, as an amateur, you don't have to be at your weight class. You could be a weight class above hell. You might even be a two-weight class above. It's an amateur realm. Like, if you lose, cool. Yeah, sure, you lose. It sucks. It doesn't look good, whatever the case may be. But when you turn pro, that's when it really matters. That's when you cut the weight. That's when you do this. Obviously, when you're towards the end of your career as an amateur, you want to make it more of that pro mindset like you were saying. But you definitely don't only want to stay amateur for one year. Unless you're 28, 29, you're already about to enter your pro, and this is kind of like your last hurrah, then sure. But if you're a young athlete in your early 20s, there's seriously no rush because I turned pro at 23 I'm about to be 29 and I've taken some really good pro level, you know, butt kicking. So I, I don't want to, you know, uh, sometimes I have, I think I have brain damage too, but it's, it's the fact of I'm spreading out my fights properly and I might only fight until 35 years old, 40, if I'm lucky, you know, depending if, you know, I'm financially stable enough too. So it's, it's trying to figure stuff out that, that exactly you want, but as an amateur man, get as many fights as possible if you're healthy. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, on the issue of preparation for amateur fights, I, I believe Zach, you would be able to comment on that, having uh, cornered multiple amateur fighters. Uh, how would you say, uh, like the general, uh, how in general does the whole scene look from the preparation side? Yeah, so I think there experience? is a big, I think there is a big contrast between, like, 
a large scale international type event where uh, you're directing your training towards this like end of the year, big tournament, goal, world championships, national championships, whatever, rather than my experience has only been a local, local uh, amateur events where people basically treat it like a pro fight, like Trey was saying, uh, they do a training camp and then they fight. They just don't have a lot of information on their opponents generally because they're all fairly newer people. And because that's the way I, I've seen it, I don't put a very high value on it overall. Like I think, I think the experience of fighting amateur is great. Uh, it's another way to learn a lot. But if your goal is to uh, be the best fighter you can be and have a, have a long career, like the most important thing is skill development, athletic development. And if your amateur fights contribute to that, great. Take as, do as many as you can, as long as you're being healthy and, and training well and being responsible, like becoming the best you can be, whether you have three amateur fights or 30, as long, you, you, do, you do have to be ready for pro. But I don't think there's any like necessarily like set number of fights. It's about how you develop. And those are certainly valuable developmental skills that you learn in amateur fights. But the guys that I have been around, always were rushing to fight. They haven't developed skill in a variety of areas. They, I try to get them to take a big picture. Like, do you want to have a long career, be a professional and be a champion? Then like, don't try to take every fight possible when you're really not ready for that. Like a lot of these guys just want to fight at any opportunity to drop the hat, no matter what, instead of like taking the time to develop in the areas they need to. They're just like, I get it. It's competition. They want to be a fight. They want to fight. But I try to, I try to put nudge them towards like better overall development than that type of just like fight at any, like a lot of these guys will take fights like, like uh, Torres was saying, like up to weight classes with no notice just to get in there. And then there is like a lot of these promoters in, in local MMA, in regional MMA in the States, basically every promotion I know is also managing some of the fighters. So they're, they're setting up their guys to, to they're building the path for them and they're going to step over everyone. So you have to be careful. I mean, it's a mixed bag for me, for, from what, from my view of it, uh, because, so because uh, it's a, it, to me, it's about the development to get where you're going. And if fighting amateur, which I think can be a great developmental piece, if that helps you do it, do it. And you can do it often, but it's, it's not totally necessary from my perspective. But I think switching to like a, like an international type thing changes that whole, it kind of changes the paradigm and it makes it something different. And I have no experience in that, but I like that better than it, than the, the local MMA scenes that I've been uh, been around. Yeah, like uh, there's this issue that's, uh, that comes into play when you're trying to prepare for an amateur fight in the local area that way, because then you start gaining experience that, uh, that doesn't necessarily translate well to your future pro career. Like, would you really fight a guy uh, two weight classes up in your pro career, really? Like, I don't think that's what, that would really happen. I, I, I just want to step in. I just want to say I tried to, but he denied the fight. So I was trying to be a three-way class champion, and he denied the fight. All right. Okay. So uh, that happens. 
<laughs> that happens, but no sometimes the other guy is a pussy. Actually, <laughs> uh, just being cheeky, of course. No professional fighter is ever that way. Anyway, uh, Dan, <laughs> <laughs> haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, would you offer any insight? Uh, yeah, man. I, I, I like a lot of the things everyone was saying. I could see, I have no experience with uh, yeah, amateur or pro in Texas, but I could see what Trayvon was saying because uh, you look at guys, you know, uh, obviously a lot of this stuff is uh, pro parallels amateur issues in, in a lot of the things I've seen. And I recently reached out to a lot of coaches uh, with a more current view and more relevant view on the amateur scene. And, and that it seems to parallel there. Uh, so for example, with the, uh, you know, for all the pros and cons that the Texas, Texas commission, you know, mainly cons, no, no offense gets, gets lobbied <laughs> at them. Perhaps it's not a surprise that they would have, you know, uh, looser regulations. For example, you look at Kevin Holland and I don't know if it's XKO, XK, there's, there's like a, a Chicago organization with a real similar name. I don't want to get them confused. Yeah. XFO. And they, it looks like they do pro am, which mm-hmm. is important. And I'll, I'll touch on that in a second. But you also see like Holland had a lot of his Muay Thai bouts in there, right? So it sounds like a really wild mixed bag. Uh, however, and again, this is very differing opinions uh, because I don't believe Tough Enough still has a, a connection, although, which is the organization that I also fought for with, uh, I, I see on uh, Jose's record as far as the IMAF. And I actually remember all that tournament. I was just, just brushing over that. I remember all that going down and whatnot. Um but it, from what I'm told, it's really important for amateur pr- uh, promotions to have pro uh, shows as well. It, you know, I, again, without outing certain people, I, I was told it, it could be problematic in certain aspects because, um, you know, uh, for example, like, again, you know, Jose, obviously, you know, you, you're, you're a talented MF or you're an outlier. You, you know, you, uh, you had great, great winning streaks, titles, uh, multiple weight classes, and you made the jump all right and are a great example as, as to why that experience and, Jose actually sentimented a lot of the examples I was going to say, um, because I'm, I'm very ignorant even to boxing, much less other sports, but you're, you're right. You know, you hear, you hear these fighters, um, kind of reference their, their, their amateur records. And I feel like taking it more seriously, uh, kind of to Zach's point, as far as, you know, yeah, I, I kind of have a, you know, a, you know, come see, come saw kind of attitude as far as the amateur scene as well, but, uh, kind of like what Zach sentimented, you know, I, I'm not against some kind of overbodying organization or, or something that really takes it seriously and treats them like professionals because of the top-down mentality. Uh, and let's be honest, you professionals aren't treated that well in the first place. So the fact that, um, <laughs> nope. which is another issue, and I'm, 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 I'm spitballing a lot here, but the fact that that seems to be a problem with a lot of the people that I've talked to from my own experiences, and let's be honest, it's common sense, is that a lot of the amateurs you know, whether you want to say, well, they're amateurs, they, this is part of every job. If you want to uh, work as a tattoo artist, you have to apprentice. And I get that. I'm not, I'm not stepping into those boundaries here, but it's not a surprise. Or it shouldn't be a surprise that amateurs get treated a lot worse. Um, not just even in from the normal leverage points as pros. Um, I even experienced it to kind of a lesser effect when I had to corner someone last minute. I think it was in 2019 was the last time I cornered. It wasn't for tough enough for another Las Vegas organization that was still using the ring ropes. And uh, I saw Mazagati there and I'm like, where has this guy been? And he still thinks it's like 2008 and he's the cock of the walk. And he is like, just, you know, yelling at me, yelling at, you know, other commission members. Uh, and it just seems like a real place to flex, you know, the promoters, this is the closest they're ever going to get to Dana White. So they're walking around like it, you know what I'm saying? And they'll talk to you guys, the experienced pros and coaches, like, like, like a Zach McCoskey of the world. 
it ends up rubbing off and they'll, they'll talk to you guys that way. And you guys are like, hey, hey, okay, all right, hold on a second. Hopefully, I mean, you, I'm, I'm assuming you speak up for yourself and your fighters, but there's a lot of those attitudes there too. So uh, just long and the short of it, I, I sent him in a lot with what you guys already said. I would be curious on what your guys' opinions are as far as amateur programs that don't offer the pro route because, you know, there's pros and cons to both of those. But for me, a lot of the parallels, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get into here is, it seems to parallel a lot of the pro struggle, but even worse, which I guess doesn't sound like a surprise, but yeah. Yeah. Like if you think about it, ideally what's amateur MMA should be. If you look at the more established sports like wrestling or boxing, amateur sports is a way for you to gain enough experience. Well, not, I guess not wrestling, but uh, boxing at least is uh, uh, the place where you experience as many different style matchups as possible where you gain enough as much experience as possible fighting different opponents with different builds different uh, attributes etc and having gained that experience over hundreds and hundreds of rounds of of, uh, live fighting essentially then you move to pros and then you're basically a complete fighter that can do it all and right now, we don't really see that, especially since most many amateur organizations basically essentially mimic pro MMA, as you've said, but see in a kind of a more ramshackle way. But yeah, to, to go back to the original question, I'm sorry I interrupted, just had <laughs> to voice this thought. Uh, no, I'm sorry if I, I kind of spitballed a bunch of stuff there, but, uh, but no, I... I... I like that. And it's just an interesting argument because, you know, you, you go to the mileage argument, right. To a lot of it. I mean, we're comparing boxing because it's like our closest neighbor, but, and not to do the, you know, the overly pro MMA stat that we're so much safer than boxing, you know, no. there's so much less head trauma. I mean, that varies. So you kind of get into that territory and, and I definitely am, am not one or one to like, re, you know, relitigate those arguments, but there is some things in experience. And I guess one thing I wanted to touch on and throw to you guys is, it's interesting because I heard a coach say um, once tell me that, you know, it, it, it depends on how long you want to stay as an amateur to go pro. And it's a real double-edged sword. He said, as an example, for example, if I have a guy that's a wrestler and he comes from a wrestling background, I'll feel more comfortable if he wants to get that experience because he's percentage wise, he's probably gonna be taking a lot less damage. You know, these are, these are, these are, these are shorter rounds, uh, smaller cages and rings, you know, that are going to benefit the grappler. We can get them on top more. If he wants to get that experience, uh, I would feel better about it than a guy who's more of an action fighter, jujitsu submissions. He's throwing, you know, head kicks. He's giving up position. That guy's going to give away his mileage a lot less faster. And if his goal is, in fact, back to the goals, you know, which is important. What's your goal here? If his goal is, in fact, to go pro and sure, he may have a wild, not the best fight IQ. I mean, who, who does? It's a very small percentage, right? It's a tough thing to do. You guys are under duress out there. Um, but still, that this is his goal. Does he want to spend all that miles on the amateurs? However, conversely, using the wrestler example, those are like the one guys you see kind of rush through the plate. You know, Bellator is trying to sign these guys before they before they've taken their last college test. You know, um, like it, 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 everyone's trying to get their hands on these guys. And to their credit, you know, they traditionally not to feed that trope, but they've traditionally done well. Yeah, I was looking at a lot of undefeated fighters who had undefeated runs and long undefeated meaningful runs they are either wrestlers and or come from grappling backgrounds. So it's an interesting double-edged sword. It's like that style is good enough to give you early success. Uh, but do you want to do that and get that experience and not getting paid? So I feel like the argument of pro to am kind of bleeds into perhaps a more important argument is how about just making the mark instead of pro to amateur 
just getting your experience before you get to the big stage, whether that's Bellator, the UFC, because that's where I feel like you can really run into trouble. And the decisions before maybe are based more on what your goals, back to what Zach said, what, what are your goals here? Are you trying to get paid? Are you trying to be a pro? Or are you trying to get a title? And I think that'll parse itself out in the earlier parts. Yeah, it's kind of a question of incentives, isn't it? Like, uh, what will incentivize you towards taking a more, uh, taking a longer amateur career as opposed to immediately going pro? Like, let's say, like, yeah, in short term, I may be able to receive some money, some uh, some monetary compensation that I that can go into training, but it also may bring about a situation where I just get damaged. <laughs> just get so damaged in a pro fight that uh, I will take a long time to recover. All my money is going to go towards recovery. And then it's basically a net negative. Meanwhile, meanwhile, conversely, in a more permissive, I suppose, more lenient amateur MMA rule set that doesn't lead to as much damage, that may lead, lend itself better to a more prolonged career long term. And uh, this is, uh, I believe, something that Jorge, uh, I'm sorry, very sorry, Jose Shorty, please comment on that. <laughs> Yo, um, I, have, I have a quick question. Zach, if, if you're comfortable with it, how much did you make your pro debut? You can do can it, Zach. Zach, everyone's just fucking up. My bad, my bad. <laughs> One after another. <laughs> uh, so I didn't fight amateur at all. Uh, now, this was a long, long time ago when I first made my debut. But uh, amateur was, like, kind of just getting going. Like, the guy I fought in my first fight was one of the only people I had heard of that had amateur fights at this time. This is, uh, late 2006. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I, I decided not to. I saw there were amateur fights available. I could have taken an amateur fight. I didn't. And it had nothing to do with, oh, I'm going to make money. I made 300 to show and 200 to win for my first pro fight plus a percentage of ticket sales so it had nothing to do with the money it had to do with the rules that were allowed in the amateur contest like i was a division one wrestler i'd wrestled my whole life i had done some nogi and some tournaments but my my game was going to be takedown and ground and pound and the amateur rules were no ground and pound to the head uh in in amateur fights i'm like that's like my whole game oh that's the worst thing about some amateur organizations and amateur rules Plus the amateur rules were like, uh, I mean, the, the, the amateur wasn't really going and the time was different. Like now I would feel much less comfortable getting in to, to a, like going no amateur rate to pro with these guys that have a large amateur background. It just didn't exist at the time. So there's a lot of things that played into it, but that's, that's was, that was my rationale. It was basically the rule set that made me decide to not fight amateur. The, the, re- the reason why I asked, like one of my good friends is Curtis Blades and obviously one of the highest ranked heavyweights right now in the world. He makes a crap ton of money right now, which I'm very happy for him. But he had to work his way up there. Given heavyweights are different, obviously they get paid more naturally just because they're more exciting, quote unquote. But his uh, pro debut actually was for XFO in Chicago. I believe he made 200-200 and he had maybe five amateur fights. You know, he just kind of went in. Now, myself... I ended up turning pro immediately to Titan FC compared to a smaller regional promotion. And I was able to make 1000, 1000 plus ticket sales. So I'm making pretty much five, six, seven times more than what Curtis blades did. Now, obviously different generation, different time, obviously 
compared to when you started. And obviously, I think four years after, or excuse me, three years after Curtis started. But the reason why I got paid so much more wasn't just because I was a good fighter, it's because I had the resume. It's just like any job. You know, if you go in there with some type of, you know, gigantic resume, you can ask for more because obviously you've been able to show that you can do more work. So when it comes to looking at, do I want to fight amateur for longer? That's why I say if you're young and you're still going to college like I was, I was like, well, I'm just going to graduate first and then I'll, you know, fight just in case if I get hurt or maybe I'm just not that good. At least I have something to fall back on. So I got my college degree and then turned pro. And I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to get my master's because now I'm semi, semi getting paid well. You look at um, Amanda Ribas, you look at Liam McCord, you look at more fighters that did the IMUF. They got a lot of fights as amateur. Uh, Mohamed Mukaev, who's part of the, the Brave Combat Federation, that guy makes so much money in sponsorships. It is ridiculous. I'm actually really upset, but also proud of him. You know, because he he has the amateur resume to prove that he is one of the best. And he literally copied exactly what I did, just promoted that much more. It's just that, you know, the generation's evolving. So it depends on what you're looking at. If you're older, need money, just, okay, cool, go pro and, you know, wish for the best and hopefully all goes well. If you're young, get a, get a college degree, save some money and fight as much amateur to get all the experience you can. So when you turn pro, you make that much more money. But it, it there is that whole, man, you might be taking some some pro-level you know, beatings before you even get up there, depending on your fighting style, smaller guys and boxing. And I'm going to use that as a reference boxers. You look at Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. I believe he's only 32, 33. And they're yeah. like, Oh, he's already past his prime. And yeah, maybe yeah. 33 is technically past your prime, but smaller guys are more active. We might not get as many knockouts, but we're a lot more active. That means we're taking smaller, a lot more blows to the head. Smaller guys to, are smaller guys are not only more active; they also have way more violent fights usually. Yeah, <laughs> and heavyweights. What what happens? It's literally one good shot, and they're like, "Oh, well, I guess I'll fight in three months," and they're perfectly fine. And they get back to it. I mean, you look at Alice Overham when he got knocked out by Francis Ngannou. Yeah, it looks brutal. It's horrible, but that was one punch. You know, it's like that's one punch with. A little bit of damage, he wakes up. All right, cool. I guess I'm going to fight in three to six months and get right back to it and have a pro career. I believe, what is Alistair? Like 40 something? So is, uh, um, oh, what's his name? What's, anyways, there's, uh, there's more guy, um, Arlowski. Arlowski is like 42, still fighting. You Arlowski know, you got has, Arlowski has an excellent deal, really. He, he just shows up, <laughs> split decision someone, and gets paid six yeah. figures. <laughs> you know, he's, in his, he's in his like early mid 40s you know like he's still fighting but you don't see small guys do that small guys don't have that longevity the guys in the middleweights it really depends on your fighting stuff you're you know floyd Wade, Mayweather, Lomachenko, move around you're good but that's not my style look at gaichi look at diego sanchez is probably a prime example that guy should have put a long time ago you know so it's and i love diego sanchez but you got some guys who take a little more damage than they should and and you know they they haven't learned yet so go, going back to your point about, I, I agree with everything you were saying about like, like building your amateur resume and that being uh, like a springboard that you can use to help kickstart your pro career on a, on, at a higher level than you would otherwise. But that's why I think like the IMOF is a different kind of paradigm than these local MMA shows. Like you could be a, a local amateur MMA champion. And I don't know how much you're going to be able to use that to springboard your resume. But these yeah. like bigger ones where there's national tournaments, world tournaments, that's a much like that's something worth as an amateur fighter, like putting in time to have that as a goal. Like Olympic boxers like Lomachenko, the Olympic gold medal was his primary goal. Right. There's no like like 
with, without IMOF or anything. There's no like amateurs that are like, my goal is to be an amateur champion. Like that's not the goal. If there is some kind of like world level prestigious event, I think that changes the whole, the whole uh, way amateur MMA can be viewed. And that, that's kind of was, was my point. Yeah. And, and also, and I was going oh, yeah. <laughs> right. to add on real quick. I think that, that kind of adds on to the, uh, uh, you know, the, the pro versus, uh, or the amateur shows that have pro relationships, because I think that, you know, even if, you know, with politics being a thing, and even if, you know, you got to go through crappy matchmaking, you don't have connections. If you build yourself through, uh, you know, you can use that resume like like Jose said, which I, I totally agree with as well. But also, if it's a show that does amateur and pro shows, then perhaps you've been been able to build rapport to go into pros. Or even if that wasn't your goal, like me, like I just wanted to commentate, which I still haven't done. But they were letting a lot of the amateur fighters commentate. No offense to my uh, comrades there, but they sucked. And I was like, I could do this really well. But let me let me just I, I wanted to get, you know, I wanted to get some amateur fights in just for my own itch as a martial artist anyway. So why don't I? You know, uh, you know, head trauma had something else to say about it, which again, you know, again, it doesn't take a lot, folks. It could just take, you know, one good one, or it can happen in training. Uh, but I, I do, I, I do, you know, especially hearing you guys talk, I, I do see maybe benefits that shows that offer that. And again, it, it's weird where states are. Like, uh, for example, you're talking about the heavyweights and the, and the lighter weights. You know, I felt like you're explaining all of Khalil Roundtree's fights that I went to for tough enough. They were just quick knockouts at heavyweight. You know, mm -hmm. and the skill level is much, uh, much different at amateur heavyweight, you know, not, not taking, not talking bad about heavyweights, believe me. I'm just saying like, it was, no, there please, was just a big, big shot. Yeah, please, yeah, please. Different. <laughs> Very diplomatic. <laughs> but, but one last thing is that my, uh, Justin James, who just fought this weekend, for example, he only has a certain amount of amateur fights, like the tough enough ones listed on his record, but he was in a state like Michigan that had a weird loophole where you didn't just have pro-am shows, but they were paying their amateurs because they were pro-am shows Perhaps another benefit, granted, that's a little more wild, wild west regulation, but again, perhaps a benefit for, for pro-am shows. And uh, Justin was going to college and wrestling, and he was able to actually fight in between, but also make money, which, you know, kind of motivated him to, to take more. He was still able to graduate, but he was done with school by the time and just wanted to fight, granted. But, uh, you know, that was a pretty sweet deal for him, you know. He still, you know, made it to the UFC, but, you know, you'd have to ask him as far as how he feels you know, for his age and miles, but, you know, if you can get into a state where they're actually paying you, you know, maybe that's not a bad, a bad deal either. I mean, asking Justin Gaethje what he thinks about his career so far would be extremely interesting since, since he's just so brutally honest about everything. <laughs> I mean, the guy just... Yeah, he's, he's I, I look up to that guy, not just in physicality, but he he has the same fighting style. When I made my debut for the UFC, I was like, I'm going to just engage to the flyweight division. Like, I just don't care. But uh, to get back to your thing, I hope you do commentate. I really do. I think that'd be awesome. The only problem is don't ever commentate where you have two guys that you might fight and you commentate for their fight. And then after it's such a close decision where they both look at you and go, who do you think won? And then you're put on the spot. So I just want to say, I hope hopefully you don't get put in that position. Don't but, worry, it yeah. wasn't that close. It wasn't that close. <laughs> it wasn't that close. It really wasn't. I thought you would. I swear I thought you would. That, oh, God. That was a fun day. I was like, oh, cool. I'm just here. Well, All right. Well, the thing is, this actually parlays. You, I don't have to worry about that because I won't be fighting. However, um, I would have to worry about that, which is the reason why I, I won't judge or do officiating. is because you just, you guys know how it is, especially if you're, for me, I'm in Vegas. I've been going to extreme tours and practically it open. I know way too many people um, you know, uh, it, to, to, to not be biased. And I respect the job, the sport, the results, weight, and the fighters way too much to put that. And I, I feel like all, 
uh, overall in the sport through anything from media commentating whatever people don't admit their biases enough that's a whole nother conversation oh, yeah. but relating it to this conversation um but re- relating it back to this conversation I-, I believe that's another problem too is that um you know the biases not, not even just pr- promotions and politics is what you have to deal with on the pro level as well as the amateur um but the certain biases uh and certain things like uh for example, I wrote down ISKA, and I, all I have next to it from the people I asked, like current coaches, is, is pain in the ass, necessary evil. And, you know, you get gyms that, you know, are, are good about, you know, letting these coaches in to get reps, especially here in Vegas. You know, they're, they're a bit, you know, they're very uh, uh, lucky to have that opportunity, right? And these gyms are good about uh, making that. But then there's all these politics, you know, with gyms and coaches, with with referees or promotions and you'll see you know promotion heavily booking certain you know fighters from one gym and not from the other and you know i know that's a part of life and much less the pro-life uh, but i feel like that's a really strong presence in amateur that goes unchecked just the biases yeah uh more people should be upfront about their biases analysts especially because it's our job to evaluate everything and sometimes sometimes you just forget to do it but either way to just sort of bring us uh, back on track, uh, amateur MMA. And uh, this is going to be a kind of weird one, but I would like to really compare the development of amateur sports and how they, the interplay between amateur sports and pro sports on uh, using the example of, say, other, other sports that do not necessarily have anything to do with fighting. And so, Trey, please, as the form, foremost NASCAR expert over here, please, quick historical overview. Uh, I, I think it started as amateur racing, wasn't it? Didn't it? What? No, <laughs> no. To get back, in, I guess to get into the history of NASCAR, <laughs> uh, they were like moonshiners, basically running like uh, alcohol during the prohibition. Make things long story short, uh, they were souping up their cars to run away from the cops, and then they were like, <laughs> and then after everything, after everything, you know, uh, alcohol was legal and all that, they were like, well, we got fast cars, might as well just race them, and boom, 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 we got fast cars racing on tracks now. Uh, but I think like the question that you asked and like how can uh, amateur like sports influence yeah influence the pros and my unfortunately in my opinion I think the pro MMA does a lot more influencing the amateur scene than the amateur scene does for MMA because pro MMA like again speaking what Zach was talking about how there was not even really an amateur scene when he was coming up but there was a pro scene just already just purely developed and so he just did pro because again obviously a lot of other things are better for him and all that but like he didn't even like he didn't even have really like the best amateur infrastructure to even go through and that was i think you say like 2006 right 2005 yeah. uh and so yeah so mma as a sport had been around for a decade prior before then there's only pro fights really in mma there's no amateur system there's no building yourself up like ufc one you just coming in there boom just fighting off the rip uh so I think for MMA specifically, there's no there's no development, amateur developing pro fighters. I think pro pro has a lot more uh, in terms of a lot more influence in terms of developing the amateur scene. Again, getting back into like the the fight structure again about it, like here in Texas, like there's pro am cards for a lot of the, uh, a lot of the the promotions, and so obviously people amateur trainer pros all the time you know this so you have a pro you know you have a pro teammate fighting on the pro card and you're fighting on the amateur card the amateur the amateur well card they're on the same card they're on the same card so prelims is the amateur pro is the, the main card uh 
for the amateurs, you know, they're taking their two to three week, two to three month camps because that's kind of when the amateur fights are booked, at least in this, in our area. It's not like you can, you know, like join, it's, well, it's not as easy to join like national uh, amateur leagues like, uh, like how Jose was talking about, which are very awesome and cool. When you're in their local scene, you just like, you take your every few months and it's, that's the pro structure bleeding its way into the amateur structure. Uh, people weight cut a lot more and like, again, in my area with amateur, that's the pro structure bleeding into the amateur structure. Uh, like people don't fight out of weight class, really. They try to make it at their weight. Like they try to like, if they're 35 years, they're gonna fight at 35. If they're seven years, they're gonna fight at 70. You know what I mean? And obviously, yeah, you'll see people be a little more lax amateur than pro. Yes, that is true. But I think it's the pro, the pro game that bleeds into the amateurs, and at least in MMA. I'm pretty sure in other sports, it's probably different. Amateur can kind of bleed into the pro and shift the, shift the, how the way the game is played, shift the way how the meta is played and all that. But still uh for mma that's i don't think that's the case at all well yeah that's right now that's uh, obviously it's uh, more apparent in how the whole system is set up but what do you think what do you think are the developments that need to be made in order for amateur mma to start actually influencing the pro game like what do what would you like to see personally like for example in the us at least in your area at least that, that's a really good question. I haven't really thought much about that, really. I would, I would probably say, I guess, probably there needs to be some differentiation, differ, uh, some differences between the pro and the amateur game. Not like, and, and it's kind of some set identified rule sets as well, because the, again, amateur scenes are so different, like where you are, where you're at. Maybe different rule sets, different scoring criteria. Like I believe in pro, uh, amateur boxing, it just kind of based on like, points like in terms of like literally each strike point uh and obviously that has ramifications down the line for people's games and how they how they tailor it depending on what they're doing but i guess for uh, looking at something that i would like i guess i could say probably mm, i've really thought about that's a good question uh no yeah i guess you have to come back to me later i have to think about that (laughs) <laughs> well, well, the first thing that uh, springs to mind is that uh, the problem with the with uh, changing the rules and trying to adjust the rules for amateurs is that the whole the sheer fact that uh, there are so many win conditions in MMA. How do you mm-hmm. like? It's it's a, it's an uphill battle trying to come up with good rules for pro MMA in the first place, and now you have the amateurs, and now you start thinking about well, you start being concerned about limiting damage. But if you limit damage, they're going to these amateur fighters are going to end up with styles that wouldn't work in the pros, and there's yeah. going to be a more of a transitional period, and that then you start worrying about those things as well, and you kind of just sit sit down and go, like, shit, <laughs> what do we do? Uh, like for example, uh, banning like uh, once again banning ground strikes to the head on uh, in amateurs in certain amateur organizations in certain states, like. This is just this is ridiculous when you think about it. Like you're just taking away a whole, a whole facet from a fighter's style. Maybe his most potent style, uh, most uh, potent uh, facet of his style. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty ridiculous to see someone mounted on someone and just punching their body. It's yeah. like really weird. Sick. I mean, <laughs> we should we should see more of it. It's it's kind of it's pretty rad actually. But the problem is that since the other guy knows that he's going to only be hitting yeah, the body, he's sure. just gonna go like this. <laughs> it's just kind of weird. That is, that's what happens. 
if you if you go back and watch the uh, I think it was Rings, the organization in which uh, Fedor fought way back when during the 90s, they actually did that. If uh, they forbid strikes to the head and grounded pound, <laughs> it looked ridiculous. They had bizarre. rope escapes. Didn't they have rope escapes too? I yeah, love, they I had rope, rope escapes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's actually fun. That's kind of fun. It is. Although, gra- fun. <laughs> although grapplers would hate it. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I mean, I guess since we're on uh, the topic of how amateur MMA can develop, I guess, uh, uh, I guess uh, Jose can contest uh, uh, to the idea of central centralizing amateur MMA into a single governing organization, single overarching organization. What sort of benefits does it bring compared to regional scenes? What do you think? What's your experience? Um, I know with the IMF, we're definitely trying to make that, especially for every nation, because every nation has their own governing body and every nation that has states like the U.S. has every separate governing body with every single state. Texas is very strict compared to California is a little more open. Uh, Illinois is pretty strict compared to Florida. No one cares at all, you know, so um, <laughs> I mean, it's Florida. Florida's like a <laughs> country, it really is. Um, but yeah, you should have seen the masks like no one ever wore them. Anyways, oh, um, <laughs> So it, it's it's the crazy thing that I, I believe there should be a governing body through the government itself, because like in other nations that we see, like uh, Sweden, Sweden's whole team is funded by the government, like an actual government, not just like some governing body, like it's funded by the country. And it's like, yeah, this is this is awesome. So trying to be able to get that funded through you know, the U.S. itself would be a huge thing and be able to implement a, I guess, a commission, our own commission through the U.S., whether it's the UMUF or USF, which is another organization that we have. And there's other leagues as well that like to claim to be the national organization. So it becomes a little difficult, um, but trying to get every state to cooperate with each other, because, again, at least when I was amateur before I even turned 18, um, all I did was pancreation because headshots weren't allowed. You know, so like Zach was saying, you take someone down, you just start throwing punches if you don't know any jiu-jitsu, which was me back in the day. And then when you went pro, uh, amateur, then pretty much everything was allowed. And then it slowly started to get like, okay, now no more no more knees or elbows to the head. All right, cool. Now you have to wear shin guards. All right, now we're wearing seven-ounce gloves, yada, yada, yada. So um, I believe there should be something adapted to every single state that's very, very similar. But that's the hardest part is every state's different. Everyone has different opinions. And again, it gets extremely political. But with that, um, and I believe there should be a recommendation, especially in the states of, you know, I think if you're under a certain age, you have to have at least 10 amateur fights to even qualify turning pro because you got some guys, man, that just go in there. And honestly, they're just not that good. And they get demolished as a professional. They're, they're used as bums or those feeder people. And it's, you see those people taking some really, really bad beatings against very, very high-level guys. So I believe there should be even a resume about turning pro. But that's, again, my personal opinion. I just don't like seeing people get hurt. Yeah. As I, I, think, I think, like, unified amateur MMA rules might be decent. Like, not that you're uh like in pro there's unified rules i don't know if it's mm-hmm. mandatory every state abide by them but everyone does right yeah for, for the most part I mean, yeah no it's a good thing if if only the judges actually understood the unified rules that would be great <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> and some open scoring and us yeah Sorry, is uh is uh imaf scored the same way like 10 point must system yeah from from what i know i believe they're still in a 10 point must system which is again becomes difficult but 
a lot of these judges, like I've seen while I was commentating some of the fights, I've seen fighters win off their back because some guy, you know, so I happened to be a really good wrestler, but knew no jujitsu and just stayed in guard the entire time. It, it kind of reminded me of um, Kyoji versus Darren Caldwell in the Bellator match where he just, Darren took him down and Kyoji was just like, I'm just going to punch you the entire time or I'm going to try to throw a submission the entire time. And Darian stood on top, but it's definitely changed, especially since you started back in the day, you took someone down. Didn't matter if you did anything, as long as you held them down, they were on the ground, they lost. Now it's like, if they're throwing submissions now, or if they're actually punching back, that's, that's points depending on the state, depending on the place. Okay. <laughs> I see your face already, depending on where you go, but you know, it just depends on, on, you know, I guess the judges, I like action, but that's just me. I sentiment Jose's uh, previous sentiment of not wanting to see people get hurt, man. I, I would see those matchups of pro or amateur and just hear like, oh, how did this get made? And as a guy mm -hmm. who ended up like one of those guys, I was like, oh, yeah, it can happen. Uh, you know, <laughs> so as somebody who, uh, who had to, to play that role, I, I appreciate that. And that. That's a little tougher to weed out, but I, I just agree with your guys' overall sentiment from top down, from Trayvon saying top down from how, how pros you know, it, it, how pros run things. And of course, obviously the pros will, should, uh, could, and should, you know, benefit from that to what you guys are saying, overall bodies, making sure we're on the same page. Because even here in Vegas, as lucky as we were to train at a place with an amateur, actually had an amateur team like Extreme Couture, we had rings for, if it was here, we had cages, uh, uh, which we still do, obviously, uh, for it was there. But it was weird. You go down to Texas, it's a little more lax. You go to our neighbors in California, it's a little more tight. You go up to Washington, we're in full pads and you can't do anything. I'm like, well, I, I should have fought here. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> that, I agree with what you guys said, uh, just top down and kind of oversight and, and, and consistency. I mean, of course, therein comes the question of uh, how would you over, like sort of keep those governing bodies in check themselves, especially if they are, uh, of, of, especially if they are overlooked by the government itself. Like, uh, for example, well, obviously, NCAA is uh, not a government organization. It's a nonprofit. And recently, it's been hit with a with a lawsuit that's been satisfied, I think. It's been verified, at least, that, um, uh, like, one of the... The Supreme Court basically said, basically ruled that the behavior of NCAA is basically grounds for, for an antitrust uh, lawsuit and uh, just... They've uh, hit them over the head with an antitrust, and I think they're going to be forced to actually provide compensation to athletes, which is a great thing, obviously. And uh, th this uh, uh, goes back to the question of um, how would you incentivize people going into amateur MMA? What sort of would you like there to be some sort of monetary compensation, medical compensation at least, like covering the cost of training, well, all that stuff? Like, uh, how would you go about it? Like, uh, shorty, personally, how would you go about it? What do you think about it? Um, not gonna lie, I kind of zoned out. So we talk about money. <laughs> well, basically, <laughs> so I was reading email. Basically, yes. I mean, yeah. So I mean, for me, I one of the biggest things that I did, especially the amateur coming up, I just followed the veterans. A lot of the guys that I trained with were professionals. I mean, that's how I even met or even heard of Zach Nikowski because I was training Joshua Sampo for a second uh, UFC fight and it was against Zach, you know? So with me, it was kind of like following what they were trying to do at the time, trying to receive sponsorships, trying to find incentives, trying to make connections to where people were funding them to train me. I was, I had a full ride in, in college, so I didn't have to work full time at all. So I had money saved up, but when it came to, 
turning uh, or having some of these fights, man, like I had the same gear for almost about five years, you know? So I was punching people from, you know, with the glove and then eventually punching people with my fist that so happened to be covered by some sock and bopper glove, you know? So it's just one of those things that it's really hard, especially in this sport. There's so many sacrifices because you have to train and then also possibly work full time. I mean, Zach knows for sure that there's a lot of UFC fighters that still have part-time jobs. You know, so it's, it, it becomes very, very difficult in general. I know we're definitely all underpaid, but as amateurs and professionals, especially with social media being a huge presence, again, I think a prime example is these YouTube fighters making these celebrity death matches, making millions of dollars, but they've only had one or two boxing fights or making their pro debut and they're making millions, you know? So um, you have to use social media as a huge game, especially when it comes to sponsorships, when it comes to promoting, when it comes to making that uh, networking connections and being able to use that even to sell more tickets, to get paid more by the time you turn professional. And it's, it's a huge thing, but a lot of guys, even now, still today, don't know how to promote themselves and make money on the side through fighting. Like right now, while we're doing this, I'm actually doing a business deal right now on my laptop. So it's, it's one of those things that you have to try to learn to multitask, and especially in this sport, it's not about how good you are anymore. It's about how popular, how many, how many tickets you can sell. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much you gotta, exactly. You got to be a promoter and a fighter. Yeah, can't just can't just be a fighter. <clears throat> yeah, that's uh, that's something that uh, something that really interests me about amateur sports because, like, uh, with amateur sports, it really sort of like kind of takes out this element of just uh, this uh, this being. Ho- all about money because with certain amateur sports there's just prestige that comes with being good at a sport like let's say uh, like a sport like i don't know wrestling so a sport like judo a sport like basically just any olympic sports and still if uh, the sport is like old enough or established enough there's still compensations from the government that uh, that are given to the athletes and from the olympic committee as well and so i think uh, i mean it's a long way from here but if we get there if, if we are able to get there, then I think amateur sports, amateur MMA could, I think, in a certain way, offset this monopoly that the UFC has on the market. That would be something interesting, and that would be really a sight to see. But, I mean, everyone can dream, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's the hardest part. I mean, you look at all these deals that the UFC, being the biggest promotion the world, is making, none of that money goes to the fighters. Obviously, that's what Brendan Schaub you know, really uh, put out there when the Reebok deal came in. He's like, dude, I was making a hundred plus thousand dollars every single fight through my sponsorships. I made more money than I did fighting, but now I got this Reebok deal and it's telling me because I only have uh, five or six fights on the Zufa banner, I make $5,000 a fight. Like that makes no sense. So, you know, it's being able to hopefully one day have the UFC and because they're the, the leader of MMA you know, they could possibly change the fact of maybe they use this new Venom deal to pay these fighters for training camps instead of, Hey, we're only going to pay you when you fight, you know, have this as like a spread out thing. Cause again, most guys have a full-time job, have a part-time job, have a family, have kids. And now they're more uh, focused on working than they are training or they're too tired to train because of work or they're not training as hard because they have more work in the morning. So it becomes very, very difficult, but I, I wish other promotions would do something where they give these fighters incentives to train and pay them to train instead of, you know, just just fight or you pay the fight. Yeah. And yeah. what's what's uh, what's the IMAF uh, policy towards sponsorships? Do the fighters get to, to just they can do whatever they want with sponsorships or does uh, the yeah. IMAF I mean, benefit I mean, a bit from it? 
from what I know, I believe that IMUF allows, I mean, anything outside the cage, you're able to get sponsored by. Mm-hmm. Um, you can show it off fight week, but when it comes to um, the IMUF, because it is a nonprofit organization, they need as much money donated as possible to get, you know, the referees, the judges, everyone to be able to fly into whatever country you're doing it. So I know like their gear sponsors, Green Hill, it, it closed them, it does the MMA gloves, shin guards, all that stuff. So they're paid through Green Hill, but again, that's nonprofit-wise to be able to fund everything else. But when you have other promotions, yeah, when you have other promotions like the UFC that make millions of dollars off of this, that doesn't go to the fighters unless they fight. You know, like these guys in, in the IMUF, like fighters in general are able to keep the gear. They're able to, you're pretty much buying it because you have to buy in to the, uh, you have to register. So mm. you're buying your gear. So everything you get to keep, but when it comes to free stuff, I, I mean, I wouldn't say right now you get any free stuff, but again, that's a nonprofit organization compared to the UFC that is making all these, you know, buildings and doing this and doing that, but nothing has really been helping the fighters. I think the only benefit the only thing that's really been helping the fighters is the UFCPI because everything is technically free when you're there. But what's, what's the big thing we're talking about right now? There's no, there's no health insurance for these guys. You know, it's like, man, I get punched in the face for a living. Like my brain hurts. I want to go to the doctor and see if I can get some really good ibuprofen or something, but we have to pay for it ourselves. Like I'm not insured. I don't know if Zach's insured. So if I, so I happen to break my leg right now, I got to pay for that all myself, you know? So it's, it's, it gets very difficult for fighters, but it's also being able to save as much money as possible through different, you know, incentives. Yeah. And that's like a decade, you know, it's been a decade since I fought amateur and you know, what, what Jose was citing was like, you know, top, top, top of the, you know, uh, top of the market, right. Uh, UFC, you know, the, the, the top treatment that a fighter can get on paper proverbial I'm using air quotes here for anybody just listening, but like, uh, yeah, that was still the same. You're still incentivized the same. I remember I popped because I, I kind of had that uh, attitude like, Jose, I was trying to take as much boxing smokers, kickboxing smokers. Um, I I uh, actually won a grappling tournament like a month before my amateur fight. But in like the final match, I allowed a guy to pop my knee with a heel hook attempt. I got on top and, and was able to finish. But just stupid ego, like why did I let that happen? Is a, you know, I, I already had this fight on the books that was much more important. Um, but I remember you're, I was incentivized, but like, you know what, even though I'm not an amateur, Tough Enough has a thousand dollar deductible. So I'm, I'm going to go and claim, regardless of how the fight goes, I'm going to go and claim I got this knee injury um, in the fight. And then, you know, because I'm you know, unemployed. And even when I was employed, especially with a lot of people today, you know, it doesn't mean you have health insurance. Um, so even if you're a pro fighter and the UFC, you still have to have another job. You still might not have that insurance and you're still kind of incentivized um, through these things. So I, I felt that that was a, a great point uh, by Jose that I just wanted to piggyback on and overall say that, that the points that he and, and you guys are making, again, a lot of these are top-down, uh, trickle-down effects here um, that we feel uh, where, where these problems kind of tend to parallel. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, it's uh, really kind of like really kind of broad topic that uh, has to do with uh, if we if you really want to get to the bottom of this whole thing you need to just kind of hit the economics angle you want to look at how the these uh, governing bodies that's the centralized governing bodies of amateur MMA are going to function where are they going to get money from how are they going to cons- compensate the fighters how they are going to incentivize fighters to get into amateur MMA and uh, like um, how would you sort of like uh, offer an alternative to pro MMA like 
since pro MMA is basically dictating the way amateur MMA now works, you're going to have to provide some sort of like a benefit that uh, pro MMA doesn't provide. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's uh, an uphill battle. <laughs> like uh, figuring out pro MMA is an uphill better, uh, battle in the first place. And amateur MMA is just a kind of like another can of worms. That's uh, just kind of like a rabbit hole. <laughs> of different topics i do have one question that i remember i wanted to ask when, when jose was talking about sponsorship and perhaps i'll pitch it to the panel here but um again back to the top down and back to the even the rules we were talking about or the fact that extreme couture eventually got rid of its rings and, and has cages like the gyms will adapt um but even the best of gyms and the best of places we need these kind of reforms and things to adapt to more consistently but in regards to the sponsorship i believe that theme tra tra travels down because even though the social media aspect you guys were talking about that, you know, you have to, you have to fight and promote or sometimes at the same time, depending on your opinion on that Joe Schilling video, neither here nor there. Um, but like, you know, <laughs> but the fact is even with like social media and this movement not being as strong, like a decade ago or even like half a decade or ago, cause I know, or not even a decade ago, it was right after that. Like I, I look at Jose's record. He, he was fighting for that same organization as myself a, a couple of years later. I still felt like while the UFC had sponsors, like even amateurs, that was one thing. I still felt like I saw the drop down banners. Um, you know, Instagram wasn't as big, but like the sponsorship market seemed more fluid from the top down. So when the pros were eating, the amateurs were eating too. Now I know that a lot of complaints from the pros, even outside the UFC, is that they affected that market greatly, the sponsorship market, even outside of their own, you know, they affected the whole biome, so to speak. So I guess my question to you guys, or even as Trayvon as an active fighter, um, or, or you guys uh, cornering uh, active amateur fighters today? Have you guys seen that effect? Is it harder for these amateurs? Do we see do we see less? Even though social media is, is expanded, do we still see less uh, names behind them? Who wants to go first? <laughs> who's who's quicker in the draw? Come on! I don't think I, I don't think I know any <laughs> amateur guys that are getting any financial sponsorship only like free gear or supplements and stuff like that. Other than that, uh, maybe when they fight and, and they get some, and if, and if, it, if that is the case, it's like local businesses who they have a personal relationship with. But other than that, I, I don't see anyone getting any kind of like financial help from like MMA type companies or whatever. Yeah. yeah it's, I, it's, it's really rare. Huh? I, I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah. It's really rare. Cause, uh, I actually like I have my own foundation and I sponsor a handful of fighters and I'm trying to teach them that because I wish I would have known that when I was younger, whether it's to get free gear, which Zach understands. It's like, man, I just want some free stuff right now. I don't even care about the money. I just need gear to train or I need clothes or this or that. Like it sucks. So I tell people to grow with the businesses and as your pro career or your amateur career slowly grows up then hopefully that business grows as well. And then you can start asking for money or doing this or asking for more incentives. I've, I was lucky when I turned pro that I was being funded monthly, but there's some people obviously that just don't have that opportunity to have to work full-time jobs. So it becomes extremely difficult, but it's, it's also learning, which they don't teach us in school of how to manage our money and, and being able to fix other stuff. But again, that's a whole different system. So it's, it's not hard to get money. Well, at least for me, when it comes to sponsors, but you have to ask closed mouth doesn't get fed and you have to know how to do it appropriately and respectfully. Uh, no, yeah, and like tying into their points, I uh, yeah, I very rarely see amateurs getting deals. Uh, most of them are through like their own pro 
teammates who put them onto something or, or get them in connection with other people. But even then, that's rare for the pros themselves in the, uh, in the regional areas. So, yeah, most amateurs, are, they don't have much in terms of sponsorship because most pros don't have much in terms of sponsorship. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, to, I mean, I guess that just goes to show just how young the sport is in general. Like, uh, like the idea was to compare and contrast uh, amateur MMA and pro MMA. But right now, all I'm getting from this conversation is that there's just, they're just intrinsically connected. There's, you can't really contrast them. They <laughs> just function in similar <laughs> ways. The way pro MMA functions, the same way amateur MMA is going to function. And it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> just once again a long way from here <laughs> oh i suppose um i i hope imf is going to provide uh is going to continue to continue growing and continue just sort of building and maybe at some point we're going to see this centralization where mma is going to start being sponsored by actual governments to just kind of create actual programs for athletes to compete in and to to just sort of gain um gain experience and grow as athletes grow as fighters and then maybe we'll see some kind of like a competition on uh, more tournaments that are going to take uh, fighters from all over that are going to see fighters from all over the world competing at the highest level basically and it's going to be essentially seen as an alternative to pro fighting like uh, maybe in like say 10 years 20 years we're going to see a fighter that is never going to turn pro that's just going to become i don't know a, a gold medalist at mma and that's just going to be his career that's just going to that's it <laughs> that's yeah, i think it'll be interesting i think it'll be interesting to see how it continues to develop if it ever makes it to like the olympics or or something like that would it would it kind of be its own thing or would it be like, should amateur MMA be like its own branch kind of like that? Or should it be on uh, like developing people for the pro game? And maybe yeah. you can coordinate both of those things together. I mean, boxing doesn't seem to be that way. You know, like when you see amateur fighters, like how will his style translate to the pro rules? But they have different scoring system. And diff- the, the, the sport is a little different. Whereas if you keep it, I guess, the same, uh, maybe you could coordinate both of those paths. I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see how it see how it happens. Yeah, it's kind of the main problem is reconciling the general, like the very nature of MMA is that MMA is noisy. There's just so much noise about. There's so many techniques you can employ. There's so much stuff you can do, and that's why we sort of see this. Uh, g- the general trend used to be is that you compete in another sport for however many years, get good at it. Let's say that's something like wrestling, something like kickboxing and boxing. And then you transition to MMA. Having had that experience fighting in another combat sports and competing in other combat sport. But uh, yeah, I mean, it would make sense if amateur MMA stayed as a sort of like a stepping stone where you kind of use it as a way to just grow as a fighter before you and develop as a fighter and mature as a fighter before you get into pros. But yeah. Sorry, Oh, just real quick, I just want to say, I'll just add that, like, uh, to, to get that prestige that you spoke to me and every, you know, everybody here has kind of spoke of, is that I think the incentive uh, incentive can't just be for the amateur to be like, I want to get this title to get this title, which is important. It's the martial arts spirit, but I think the promotions 
and the the pros and then the other side waiting for it also has to value that like you know kind of what jose said being able to yeah. market that and you can do that to varying degrees but i'll just say this that like i wonder if we'll get a shift of what could help make that more important not just the centralization that we're obviously talking about but a weird key here is like i'm, I'm 36 and i feel like martial artists or fighters around my age or older that's where you'll see like like if I, if, I, if I told you guys i had a black belt in karate and taekwondo it's like well you grew up in the 90s that's when you know it was dominant and i feel like we're seeing a lot less of that you know brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts will probably be like the last to go right because they're still somewhat relevant although there are different schools of thought as far as the nogi a lot of fighters remain purple belts their whole career it's not not a coincidence it's because the, the other training takes them away from things right so i wonder if we see a retraction of traditional martial arts uh traditional ranks even um you know and and follow suit if these mma accolades become more valuable to not just the fighter but the promotion themselves if that makes sense what's also interesting is that it's probably like provided it develops in the correct way it's just going to get more people into mma and just sort of increase the overall talent pool more people will become interested oh i just can like uh uh people will start putting kids into training MMA as opposed to training, like say wrestling or boxing or any other individual sport. So that's through sheer numbers that would just maybe increase the actual skill levels, the skill ceiling we see in MMA. And uh, maybe we'll see a shift away from, let's say these, uh, this meta where in order to win fights, many MMA fighters just develop a style that gets them hurt more often like hyper aggressive styles that are just off- offensively based that are based on non-stop offense but hard to predict <laughs> i mean it's a cool style <laughs> not gonna lie i'm, I'm gonna here pretend. for a, bunch of, a long time yeah i mean i suppose we've been able to hit on most points that uh, we had that i've intended to raise but uh of of course obviously there's going to be there's much more questions about this whole thing that uh, still needs evaluating and sort of like some research needs to be done like for example like the prospect of uh, mma becoming an olympic sport that's a whole other can of worms if you look at the olympics uh, the way the olympics have been set up for years and end so many corruption scandals all over the place constantly judging scandals uh bribe scandals all that stuff and if mma becomes an olympic sport we're gonna have to deal with that as well so i mean i guess we could uh sit here and talk about it for ages but i i'm assuming you guys have places to be <laughs> things to do but something uh, like that <laughs> yeah uh, so this i guess good combo. thank you for this discussion everyone and uh um before you go like uh, any closing statements, any ideas on how would you like to see amateur MMA develop, or just just some concluding thoughts? Uh, I guess uh, let's start the same in the same order that uh, we started. Zach, let's go <laughs> with your uh, closing statement. Uh, I mean, I would just reiterate, kind of. I think the. Uh... The bigger national and global kind of shows seems to be a better way to handle amateur MMA than it currently is. And I mean, I don't have experience in it, but I would say for my guys, I still think they should take like the, the percent, the, the goal should be to develop your skills 
so you can perform under whatever circumstance and whatever path is going to help you get there is what I think you should follow depending on what's available to you. So, um, but yeah, I hope, I hope it becomes an Olympic sport. I hope these, uh, these like global amateur programs continue to grow. Uh, yeah, that's it, I guess. Okay. Uh, thank you. Jose. Uh, um, you know, for me, I, I just believe people should get as many amateur fights as possible, especially if you're young. Um, I, I want people to know as amateurs that this is something they seriously want to do. You know, whether it's going through the injuries, whether it's going through the money sacrifices or traveling to train and, and you know, doing this, doing that, because there's a lot of things behind the scenes that we have to sacrifice just to become professionals, nonetheless, high class champions and, and you know, world stars. You know, so it's it's a process, but the amateur ranks don't just help build up your accolades and your experience, but also teach you the outside stuff of or behind the scenes of like, do I really want to do this? This is something I'm going to put in 100% of my time for because it's, it is a very difficult sport. Um, but then also being able to fight safe enough, being able to find the coaches that are appropriate to you. Again, I, I've had people corner me that I'm like, yeah, no, that's never going to happen again. And I've had people go, man, I can't wait to have you back. So it's finding the right team for you. I've been to multiple gyms. Now I'm staying with Dean. I, I might be somewhere else next year. You never know. So it's, it's being able to find what's right for you during that moment. And then, you know, find the right team, right. Finding the right family and, and, you know, pushing your career. So there's so many things with MMA with amateur wise, but um, if it's, if you're able to do it, why not have some fun and uh, enjoy while it lasts. So do you think? Trey as an active amateur fighter that is uh, in the beginning stages of his career, what do you have to offer? Uh well, no, I like the discussion. It was a very good discussion. Uh, a lot of nice perspectives. Uh, I guess from my my thing, the main thing that I that I see is that the pro game is very interlinked to the amateur game. Uh, I do really like the ideas of like a, a big nationwide like amateur system. I guess I could say. Uh, I I like I like the fact that like having a recognized system instead of just like being everything ragtag from like texas to wherever else to wherever else to wherever else being just completely different uh but no yeah like unfortunately it's not like that right now amateur scenes are different everywhere and uh, are different depending on the country state wherever and you kind of have to navigate it how you have to navigate it within where you're at uh which i guess is an unfortunate thing but again the discussion was really good uh opened my eyes to a lot of different things and uh it was nice. Dan? Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, as far as, you know, you got to navigate where you're at. Uh, the information is out there. The opportunities, as far as opportunities to fight, places to train to fight, they are catching up. Again, not all places are, you know, uh, as lucky as others. But even if you are lucky, air quotes, and you're in a, a big gym, air quotes, in Las Vegas fight capital, it still doesn't matter until we get some more centralization so we know what we can prepare um, or what, you know, coaches can prepare their fighters for. And I'll just add that just no matter what your goal is, whether you're doing it for experience, you want to give yourself the best chance to become a pro, uh, whether you want to be an amateur champion or you're like me, you're just some like schlep that wants to just test himself. And, you know, what if for whatever personal reasons, you should treat it with the same respect as if you are going to be pro, which sounds obvious. You should respect what you're doing and not that the proverbial you out there doesn't. What I mean by that is that, you know, take like, you know, uh, like Trayvon said, a lot of amateurs will still take the two to three months because this is their time to 
you know, prepare like a pro, but also just pre prepare yourself as in who you have around you. You know, there are some coaches that'll just let anybody fight amateur. You can see that with some of these matchmaking, you know, we used to have that problem um, back in my day, uh, you know, or if you're, you know, like to type my own experience, if, you know, your, your coach, you know, sets you up to fight a name, a person, uh, and, you know, he used to coach uh, that person's dad and work at the person's with that person's head coach and have a working relationship with their gym. And they mysteriously don't show up on fight night <laughs> for you. You're like, oh, wait, I'm that guy. Oh, crap. How did I not see this coming? So you got to be careful. Uh, in other words, you know, um, you know, it, it can happen to you. No, no, no. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is you, you, you want someone to be truthful to you. You don't want someone that's going to baby you or just let you to fight because, not many people, if not anybody, are going to share your motives, whether it's a small goal like mine or a big goal. Almost everybody you meet in this industry is not going to share your goal. So it's important to surround yourself with a good support system, kind of like Jose says, you know, he's, he's really experienced. He's been around. Um, and, you know, right now he's got a really good situation. He's got a real smart guy in his corner, Dan Thomas. He's, he's still, you know, like he said, he's he's got he can go do his jujitsu here. And this is like the resources, and the information's out there. It's just how you want to apply it and making sure you have a good support system because it, it it's quite the road. Yeah. I guess that about sums it up. Uh, I suppose, uh, Oza, you said uh, you've had uh, until five, I think that, yeah, to record this one. So uh, I guess. <laughs> no, I was, it was actually until four, but yeah, I was. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're perfectly, you're perfectly fine, man. Sorry about that, but uh, either way, it was a, a real pleasure to have you on. If you if you gotta go, just please <laughs> don't don't let me hold you up any longer. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I think it's much of the time, and uh, I can't wait to hopefully do another one. Yeah, as uh, if you if you have the time, we're going to continue this conversation. There's still lots of things we have to touch upon. I think lots of things to be discussed. Yeah, and it's it's going to be a real pleasure to have you back on. Thank you. For sure. Next time, guys, I got to go. Take care of yourself. Thanks for joining. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, thanks. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, I guess, uh, we, we well, we've hit uh, on uh, most of the stuff that I wanted to cover to just sort of, like, give an intro to the overall topic. So, uh, if, um, if it's okay with the rest of you guys, I think uh, we may join up for a follow-up discussion for uh, for a part two of this discussion. I think there's still lots of things to cover, lots of ground to cover. But uh, overall, today I think I think we've uh, gotten a bit of a glimpse into how amateur MMA works today. Saying this for the listeners, of course, not not for you guys. <laughs> you already understood the, uh, you already understand all this stuff. But uh, either way. Uh, hope this was an enjoyable listen for everyone uh, listening and uh, uh, for more discussions like this for more long form long form discussions like this uh, subscribe to the fight site presents channel check out our website where we post our articles and uh, uh, check out the fight site podcast network for any of our podcasts where we discuss more stuff like this and also weekly MMA breakdowns check out the main channel check out our patreon lots of stuff on there Dan, please, if you have any plugs, plug away. Plug all our holes. I, oh, geez. Now, you, speaking <laughs> of that, now you just find me at Dan Tom MMA for my stuff. Uh, 
all my stuff's there and I'll, I'll i'll just turn the plug around and say yeah subscribe to the fight sites patreon because it's one of the only patreons that'll give you bathhouse fight scene breakdowns folks that's right <laughs> content you've yeah. been asking for thank yeah. you Ed. uh so i i'll just plug that that was a great piece of content uh, whoever props to whoever suggested that yeah and also while we're at it i've recorded recently recorded a podcast with uh Gonna rebush of the of heavy hands that has to do with uh, fighter personalities and how personalities affect fighting styles. It's just us prattling on about armchair psychology the whole way through. I guess you'll enjoy that <laughs> if you enjoyed this piece of content. And uh, check out Dan's stuff right back at you, Dan and uh, Trey. Uh, any plugs that you would like to have, like would would like to do? Also follow Trey on uh, on Twitter. I think it's just. I would I would really recommend to not do that, man. Mainly because <laughs> Twitter is a terrible place. Like, don't 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 be on Twitter, please. So you like, don't condone Twitter, is what you're saying? I don't condone Twitter, man. I mean, I that's condone. I mean, wise. Even though I'm on it, but still, very wise. Uh, I'm gonna be the nice person and and and, and plug everybody else's stuff. Listen yeah. to Tuman's podcast. All his podcasts are great. Tinker Dome, all the fight state stuff. Listen to Dan's podcast. All the stuff Dan does. I think Protect Your Neck podcast. Right? Is that it? Right? Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yes, sir. Yes, Thank you. Uh, watch Zach's fights. I've been watching Zach's fights for years, so you should do it. If I'm doing it, you should do it. Uh, but no, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, any news about uh, upcoming fights? Any upcoming fights? Okay. Hopefully no? something soon. Hopefully something soon. Like I say again, Ember is different. You know what I mean? I gotta wait like months for fights and all that. It's not the same. Uh, geez. The same as, well. <laughs> as as. I think there's as, uh, other places. I think there's actually footage of you fighting, isn't there? That you that you may people may want to direct some people to towards just sort of to check out your I fighting think, style and all that stuff. I think I have fights on YouTube, but I'm not sure. Like I think they're like unlisted links or whatever. Just if you can type in my name, hopefully something cool will pop up. Maybe not. It's whatever. <laughs> uh, but no, yet. <laughs> I think the, I think the fights are on YouTube, but like again, they're unlisted links. Like they're like. For those of you who upload videos or don't know how it works, like it's like only the like, if you only you can only watch it if you like, are the owner or like send the link itself. Yeah. So Zach, uh, and any upcoming content for the fight site that you would like to announce? Just this uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> any future no, ple- announcements? Pleasure being on with you guys. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't have any scheduled fights or anything. I'm teaching. I'm now like running the MMA program here at Finishers MMA in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So dealing with some amateur fighters now, some pro fighters, and I'm and I'm still gonna fight. I'm just waiting on that. I know uh, Torres will have his uh, his semifinal bout in the Brave Flyweight Tournament. I don't know if it's scheduled yet, but it should be coming up fairly soon. He's fighting Ali Bagatinov, and the winner will face the guy that I just beat, who got the decision in the finals. So. <laughs> Robbery. I'll, I'll plug Shorty's next fight because that, that'll be a good one. Him and Bagatinov should be a really good one. Yeah, and uh, if anyone wants to watch your brave fights, where where can they uh, where can they find them? I think depending on what country you're in, it's different. In the U.S., you have to go through the fight app, and then you can just search like my last one was Brave Fifty. I think the event's free, so you can just go watch the whole event for free. The last couple events they've done are free. The earlier ones were like fifteen dollar pay per view streaming pay-per-view or whatever but i think the last bunch are free so yeah and the rest is just on fight pass and uh, on bellator right the ufc fights will be on fight pass yeah yeah I don't so know where to find bellator fights to be honest if, uh, a long time 
<laughs> if everyone has wishes to have a great time and just has uh, some 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 time to kill, just what go go back and watch uh, Zach's fights. A great Stop fun. Paul in the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so, I think that that's that's enough of that. <laughs> uh, great fun. Great fun having you. Great fun uh, having you on and uh, talking to you guys. Uh, always some interesting insights. Trey, I would like to have you back for the second for the for part two if uh, we figure out the schedule. I think we'll. I think we will. I think we managed just just fine with this one. Right. Not gonna take take up any more time from you guys. <laughs> just. Uh, uh, right. Uh, Get some sleep, Iggy. Yeah. I know for yeah. real. Yeah, uh, I feel like I'm gonna pass out. I'm just rambling right now. Yeah. <laughs> you need a sign off, Izzy. That's what you need. You need a, I know, right? Yeah, I'm just uh, trying to come up with. A, I'm trying <laughs> trying to come up with a funny way to sign off. But I mean, I guess. Ah, uh, fuck it. That's the end. Go away. Show's <laughs> over. All right. Let's go. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>